If the Lord is willing, we are going to spend some time the next handful of Wednesday evenings gleaning the wisdom of the Lord from the book of Proverbs. That is, of course, what Proverbs is all about, isn't it? The wisdom of the Lord. Proverbs is a book of wise sayings and wise instructions, some of which span across several verses and many of which come to us as pithy one-liners. But the theme that runs through all of these sayings, both the short ones and the long ones, is that of wisdom. Wisdom. That's the book of Proverbs. And not just any wisdom, but specifically the wisdom that comes from the Lord. And if you've read Proverbs, you will have noticed that all of this wisdom is quite intentionally practical as well. There's keen insight in this book on money and on marriage and on friendship and on ethics and on work ethic and so on. So that one of the older writers, William Arnaud, has described the book of Proverbs as laws from heaven for life on earth. And I think that's quite a good summary of the book of Proverbs. Laws from heaven for life on earth. And so over the next few weeks, my hope is to look at just a handful of these laws from heaven and to help us think about how God would have us live this life on earth. And in particular, I'd like us to focus on a few passages that deal with certain character traits, character traits that ought to be part and parcel of a life well lived, a life lived to the glory of God. We won't look exhaustively at all the character traits that are commended to us in the book of Proverbs, but I've chosen a select few portions of the book that stand out to me as being perhaps especially helpful to us as a church family. And the first of those portions you will find this evening in chapter 16, verse 11. Proverbs 16, 11. A just balance and scales belong to the Lord. All the weights of the bag are his concern. A just balance and scales belong to the Lord. All the weights of the bag are his concern. Now, Father, I pray that um, just as all the weights of the bag are your concern, that you would take all the words that I'm going to say and all the hearts that are in this room and all the needs that we have as your concern and that you'd meet us and that you'd give us what we need tonight. Show your concern for us tonight from this passage we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want you to picture yourself at a farmer's market on a town square somewhere in the ancient world. And amid all the unusual sights and sounds and smells that would be there, one of the things you will notice is that they don't have modern spring-loaded scales like you find at Kroger, much less electronic ones, but rather the old world kind of scale with a plate or a basket on either side tilting back and forth like a seesaw until the weights on both sides are balanced. And so how do you know how many ounces of green beans or a flour or of chicken breast you're about to purchase? 
Well, you put them all into the basket on your side of the scale, and then the merchant pulls out a little bag of weights, some perhaps weighing an ounce, some two ounces, some three, five, sixteen, and so on, and he keeps adding weight to his side of the scale until the two baskets are even, and then he knows to charge you for 49 ounces of fish. But what if the man at the fish stall is a dishonest man? What if he has perfected sleight of hand such that he can deftly place his pinky finger and add a couple of ounces to your side of the scale without you ever noticing that he's doing it? Or what if he has taken a file to the various weights in his bag and shaved off five or six percent off the bottom of each one so that it takes an extra one ounce ball or two from his bag to even out the scales or maybe the milkman is using so-called gallon jugs that only hold about 120 ounces what about that those sorts of things wouldn't make you too happy of course if you were the customer but many as is a person who, if they were on the business side of this equation, many is a person who would wink and smile and think themselves quite clever if they could get away with such trickery and in so doing put a few extra shillings in their pockets. Some of those kind of people might be in the room tonight. And if you're among them, hear the word of the Lord once again in verse 11. Adjust balance and scales belong to the Lord. All the weights of the bag are his concern. There you have the picture that Solomon is painting for us here of the dishonest merchant swindling his customers in the town square. And that can be your first heading if you're taking notes tonight, the picture. But then secondly, from that picture, we need to think just now about the principle that lies behind the picture. What is the principle that the Holy Spirit is teaching us by means of this scene from an ancient town square and an ancient market day. Well, Proverbs 16:11 obviously speaks directly to those who might work at a little food stand and who work literally with scales and weights and balances, but this verse applies, I think you will agree with me, in a much broader sense to issues of integrity and issues of honesty that each of us faces in many different ways in our various spheres. The whole issue of honest weights and measures in the merchant's bag falls under this larger biblical category of simple integrity. Integrity. Am I willing to do what is upright and honest and just, even if I know I can get away with doing otherwise? Or am I the kind of person who is okay with fudging the numbers just a little bit, pulling the wool over someone's eyes, using smoke and mirrors, as it were, to gain an advantage and put a little bit of extra money in my pocket? And that application to honesty in business and with money in particular is where I especially want us to hover this evening. We could apply this proverb regarding integrity to a number of other areas, of course, integrity in regard to marital faithfulness, integrity as it relates to not cheating on our schoolwork, integrity when we give someone our word about something, and so on. There are many areas of our lives in which integrity is important and in which we're tempted to be dishonest. But the most direct application of this particular proverb is to integrity in our business dealings and as it relates to money. That's one of the areas we're frankly tempted most to fudge things, isn't it? Listen to the verse again. 
A just balance and scales belong to the Lord. All the weights of the bag are his concern. He cares about what that merchant is doing and how much he's charging his customers. Now, we might like to think that such a proverb would not need to be driven home in an audience like this one to churchgoers, Wednesday night churchgoers even. But experience tells me that professing Christians are not immune to shady business deals and cooking the books and letting integrity slide if it will save me a few dollars. Professing Christians, and sadly, sometimes even real Christians, are not immune, in other words, from lying and stealing from other people. And that is what we're dealing with here in this verse and in this topic, lying and stealing When we think about the merchant tilting the scales with his pinky or shaving the bottoms off of the weights in his bag or selling gallons of milk that aren't quite a gallon, this merchant is breaching both the Eighth and the Ninth Commandments. He's lying about the weights of his bag and the weight of his produce, and he is doing so in order that he might steal a few extra coins out of his customers' pockets. And the point of this proverb is that such behavior is unbecoming for any merchant, for any human being created in God's image. But I say to you tonight that a lack of integrity is especially unbecoming among those who claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus working in Joseph's carpentry business and charging someone for a 34 and a half inch cabinet that was actually only 33 inches tall? He who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. The thought of Jesus doing something like this is simply preposterous. But why then do some of his people think that dishonesty in their business and in their financial dealings is a semi-legitimate way of getting ahead? How can some people sleep at night, is my question, knowing that they have sold their integrity at the price of a few extra dollars in their pockets? Now you might say, who are these people that you're talking about? I'm not sure I know anyone who is as dishonest as the underhanded merchant that we're reading about here. Most of the people I know are good, upstanding citizens. I hope that's the case, but I've observed human nature enough to not be so certain about that. And to help you observe human nature a little bit, let me now take you out of the ancient produce market and bring you into the modern world. Let me give you some present-day examples of how people today do the very things that Proverbs 16:11 is warning us against. So we've looked at the picture, we've thought about the principle of integrity that lies in back of it, but now in the third place, let's consider some particulars. Some particular ways that people today, perhaps some of us included, are guilty of using, as it were, unjust weights and measures. The most direct corollary, of course, would be precisely in the realm of weights and measures in our own day. So you go into a grocery store in which they still have scales hanging here and there in various sections and in which they still trust you to weigh and label your own produce, and you scoop the green beans or the pistachio nuts into the little bag, and then you weigh them up to 16 ounces on the scale, and then you affix the label, and then before you tie the bag off at the top, you drop another little handful into the bag. And you go home with 18 ounces for the price of 16. And God is watching you all the while. All the weights of the bag are his concern. Or maybe you're shopping at a particular store or dining at a particular restaurant. And the cashier, 
who has no concern about taking money out of the store owner's pockets, gives you a little wink-wink as she charges you for a size small when you're really carrying a large out the door. Do you go along with her? Maybe salve your conscience by saying, well, she's the one that's doing it, not me. God is watching you. All the weights of the bag are his concern. Or what if she accidentally gives you back too much change? Does it matter to you to hand her back the overage? Or is your integrity worth less to you than the extra dollar that goes into your pocket? A just balance and scales belong to the Lord. I wonder if any of you ever lie about your age or your child's age in order to get a discount at a store or at a park. I wonder if any of you ever put 13 donuts in the box and tell the cashier that you're taking a dozen Some of you may have figured out that the state of Ohio has a dine-in tax if you're eating at a restaurant, but that if you lie and say that you're going to take the food to go, you can eat inside that restaurant, and at the same time as enjoying a meal, you can avoid rendering to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, just by being untruthful. You may think that's a small thing, and the dollar and 72 cents that you kept back from the tax coffers may be a small thing to the state of Ohio, But that $1.72 is evidently worth more to you if you do that than your integrity. And God cares about that. A just balance and scales belong to the Lord. And while we're talking about our taxes, were you completely truthful with all that paperwork that you just turned in to the government? Are you willing to fudge your deductions or not report your tip income or conveniently leave out money that you earned from a side job? Are you okay with working under the table so that there won't be a paper trail that will force you to lawfully pay your taxes? Or for others of you, are you willing to pay your employees under the table so as to avoid paying your part of their taxes and the insurance that is due? God sees and God cares about your integrity in all these matters. All the weights of the bag are his concern. What about stealing not only from Uncle Sam, but from your employer? Do you steal time from your employer employee by doing personal business on the clock, consistently showing up late, calling in sick when you're not really unwell? Would you think of fudging an expense report so as to get a little bit of extra change in your pocket, you know, add a few miles to your mileage to puff up the expense check? As in the farmer's market, so on your timesheets and your expense reports, a just balance belongs to the Lord. Or would you help your employer, like the charlatan at the fish market, cheat your customers? Can you live with yourself knowingly involved in a scheme at work in which your company charges the customer for one grade of material but intentionally delivers a lesser one? or in which they charge for X amount of product, but figures out a way to only deliver Y. God cares about these things. I hope that you do as well. A just balance and scales belong to the Lord. All the weights of the bag are his concern. And let me give one more present-day example of how this verse might apply in some of our lives. A number of us, in various forms or fashions, find ourselves at times applying for financial assistance of various kinds maybe from the government, maybe for a college scholarship, maybe on a housing application where we have to meet certain income criteria to live in a certain place 
or get a certain type of assistance. And on the paperwork, we have to give financial information. And we know if we drive the numbers down a little bit, if we hide how much we really make, if we hide how much we really have in the bank, if we hide how much our family can really help us, well, then we're much likely, more likely to get the scholarship or to get the housing assistance or to be able to live in that building or to receive those government services. And some of us perhaps have been tempted to do just that sort of thing. Some of us perhaps have done it. And what it is is just plain old-fashioned sin. It is deceit and it is theft. And that's what all these things are, deceit and theft. It might not ever occur to you to cheat the scales at the farmer's market, but there are many ways in which we can fall foul of the integrity that this proverb calls for. And God is watching what we do in our businesses and with our money. All the weights of the bag are his concern. And let me say, all the weights of the bag Not just the big one and two pound weights that seem really to make a difference, but the half ounce ones too. All the weights of the bag are his concern. Because didn't Jesus teach us to be faithful even in a very little thing? He did, didn't he? So you may sometimes tell yourself that, you know, a little fudging here is probably excusable because after all, the company or the government with whom... Uh, from whom I'm withholding this money, is really dealing in millions and billions of dollars. So what does it matter if I keep a dollar or two in extra change from UDF or if I get a few unearned hours of pay from my company or if I keep back a 100 bucks here, there, in taxes by means of clever but dishonest number crunching? It's almost like Robin Hood, right? Stealing from the rich to give to me, the poor. UDF can afford it. My, my company probably won't notice. The IRS certainly doesn't need my money. That's what you may tell yourself. And they may not need your money. But God notices and God sees and God cares about every last weight in the bag. All the weights of the bag are his concern, even the little ones. And along those lines, know that the person who is willing not to report his true earnings to the IRS, the person who's willing to go along with the cashier who's cheating her company by intentionally charging people the wrong amount, the person who's willing to slip an extra donut into his bag or to be dishonest with his sick days, the person who is dishonest in these so-called little things will eventually be dishonest and unfaithful in much larger things as well. That's what Jesus said. He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. She who steals pistachio nuts will eventually graduate to stealing things even more valuable. He who is willing to cheat on his taxes is also likely willing to cheat on his wife eventually. He who is willing to lie on his financial aid application might also be willing to lie to his friends or his accountability partners, and on we could go. But the reverse is true as well. Yes, he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much, but also he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. The man who has integrity with his money will be much more likely to be trustworthy in his marriage. The woman who is honest with the grocery cashier is much more likely to be honest with her children, and on and on we could go, demonstrating that integrity really has very little to do with how big a deal the particular issue is in the world's eyes. I want you to hear that well. Whether or not you have integrity has very, very little, if anything, to do with how much or how little you think you're fudging. 
He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. And so because all the weights of the bag are God's concern, and because of the principle that he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, there really are no little things. Now, it's true, some provisions of God's law are weightier than others. Jesus himself said that in Matthew 23. But there are no small matters in the sight of God. No small weights in the bag. All the weights of the bag are his concern. So then there are some particulars, some specific ways that we might find ourselves falling foul of the integrity that God calls for, and also some reasons why these things are actually a big deal. But then let me move in the fourth place this evening to some promises, some promises that are implied in Proverbs 16.11. I say that there are promises implied in this verse Because as you can see, there is no promise directly stated in verse 11. We're simply told that God cares about integrity. A just balance and scales belong to the Lord. All the weights of the bag are his concern. God cares about these things. But though there are no promises explicitly stated in that verse, the fact that God clearly cares about our integrity, it seems to me, implies that on the one hand, he will bless those who have integrity, and then on the other hand, he will chastise those who do not. Does that make sense? There's a positive promise and a negative promise from God implied in these verses. If God cares about your integrity, then God, being the just and righteous God that he is, surely will reward integrity, and he will discipline the lack thereof. And we don't just have to infer those facts from Proverbs 16.11. We can find them stated explicitly in a verse like Proverbs 13.11. If you want to turn over a page or two and read that verse with me. Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it. Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it. So there you have it. We've been talking about integrity tonight, specifically as it relates to financial and business dealings. And here's a reminder that in God's economy, dishonesty does not pay, and that in God's economy, getting money by honest means will be rewarded. Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it. And really, that is simply a restatement and a money-specific application of two well-established biblical principles. What are they? Well, on the one hand, as the Lord said to Eli the priest, those who honor me, I will honor. Those who honor me, I will honor. And that applies to the way that we handle our money. And then on the other hand, the other principle, if we choose not to honor the Lord, Numbers 23, 23, be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure, in other words, that your sin will come back and bite you. Or in the spirit of Proverbs 13.11, be sure that your ill-gotten gain will not last. Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles. Be sure your sin will find you out. 
Some of you might wonder sometimes, why do I keep having these financial difficulties? Why can't we seem to keep money in the bank? Why do we keep running up against these unexpected expenses? Now, it may be that the Lord is disciplining you for some completely other sort of sin in your life that has nothing to do with your financial integrity. Or it may be that he's not disciplining you for any sin at all, but just allowing you to pass through a rough patch for seasons, or for reasons, I should say, known only to him. But I say both of those things because I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm about to say here. There is more than one reason why we may sometimes have financial difficulty, but one reason according to Proverbs 13.11, is that we have gotten our money dishonestly in the first place, and God takes it away. And some of us may need to put two and two together in this regard tonight. Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles. To illustrate that point, the colorful 18th century preacher Lachlan McKenzie repeated to his people the story of a woman who sold milk but who, much like the person we read about or the person we talked about from chapter 16, she added water to what she sold until her milk product was diluted by one-third. Two-thirds milk, one-third water. Well, she eventually uh, gathered her money together, her quote-unquote earnings together, and she went on an ocean voyage. And as the story goes, a monkey that was being transported on that same vessel, somehow got into her sleeping space, found her little satchel of coins, climbed up the rigging of the ship with the sack in hand, and as monkeys are prone to do, began rummaging through the sack, tossing one coin out into the sea and two coins down onto the deck. One coin out into the sea, two down onto the deck, until a third of her earnings were buried in the ocean, exactly the amount that she had exacted by her false measurements. I hope you see the point. God sees when we are falsely weighing things in our favor, and God has ways of evening that out. So learn the lesson. Be a man, a woman, a boy, or girl of absolute integrity, for all the weights of the bag are under the watchful eye of a just and a holy God. And let me bring the judgment of God against our lack of integrity home even a little more forcefully from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You might just turn over there with me now. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In verses 9 9 and 10 of this chapter, Paul gives a list of the sorts of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. That sort of list always to make us sit up and take notice. In other words, what Paul is saying in verses 9 and 10 is that people who can live comfortably in these certain sin habits demonstrate that they have never actually been converted to Christ. And as you look there, the list includes, perhaps unsurprisingly, people who are fornicators, people who are idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, and drunkards. And then at the end of his list, Paul includes among those who will not inherit the kingdom of God people who are swindlers. Swindlers. The sort of people who are in the habit of getting a hold of money by dishonest means. The sort of people who use false weights and unjust scales. The people, in other words, who cheat on their taxes. The people who lie on their financial aid forms. The people who fudge expense reports and who cheat their companies and who pay their employees under the table so as to avoid paying the government and so on. 
And I say to you, if you read what Paul says here, this is serious business. This is not one of those matters in which you can listen to your pastor as though he were a little bit like your crazy uncle. You know the uncle that most families have? He's a little bit eccentric, and so though you love him, you have to write off certain things he says because he's just a little quirky and old-fashioned. These matters of integrity, you treat that way at your own peril. Because people, Paul says, who are comfortable, people who make a habit of pursuing unjust gain, I'm afraid that some of us may be them. People who are comfortable with dishonesty in their finances are not actually Christians, Paul says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Let that sink in tonight. And not just if you're a swindler, but if you're any of these other persons on the list as well. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, what does Paul mean by that? Does that mean that if any of us have been convicted of dishonesty tonight, that we're automatically going to hell? Does it mean that the sins Paul just listed are unforgivable? No, it doesn't mean that. What it means, though, is that if you've really been forgiven of these sins, the ones Paul lists here, if you've really been forgiven of them, you won't keep living them in them comfortably. They won't be your habits anymore. That's not to say that no true Christian will, never, will ever fall into these sins. Sometimes we may, but we won't be comfortable in them. We won't be habitual in them. They won't be the ongoing characteristic of our lives because if you've really been saved, well then, in addition to forgiveness, you've also been granted new life, haven't you? New desires, new abilities to serve God, a new set of ethics guiding your life choices and written on your heart. And so it's not that freedom from the various sins of idolatry and fornication and homosexuality and swindling, it's not that freedom from these things is what makes you a Christian, but rather that freedom from these sins is what shows that you've already become a Christian by means of your attachment to Jesus say that again, it's not that freedom from idolatry or fornication or homosexuality or swindling is what makes you a Christian. But if you have already become a Christian, then you will be free from these things because you belong to Jesus. And if you're not free from these things yet, the next verse in 1 Corinthians 6 will remind you that you are not beyond hope. Let me read to you, verses 9 through 11, all together now. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Isn't that marvelous? Here, Paul is writing to a room full of Christians in Corinth, some of whom came from pretty ugly backgrounds. Some of them were idol worshipers. Some of them were sexually filthy. Some of them were thieves. Some of them were the guy with the false weights in his bag. 
Some of them perhaps were tax evaders. Some of them stole from their employers, maybe, just like some of us may be doing. And Paul is straightforward to tell them that those who continue down such paths, those who live habitually in the realm of dishonesty, will by no means be with the Lord in heaven. And such were some of you, he says. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of our God. Isn't that threefold but wonderful to read? In that verse, here is a room full of people who deserved hell and who would continue to deserve hell had God not intervened in their lives. But He did intervene. And He made provision for their sins. And that's the final heading this evening. The provision at the end of all this discussion about sin. God has made provision for dishonest people. The dishonest people in Proverbs 16.11. The dishonest people in the city of Corinth. The dishonest people in this room. God has made provision for us in Christ. Some of us, I feel sure, really ought to be under strong conviction tonight. Some of us ought to be perhaps on pins and needles knowing that God sees what we've been doing. And there ought to be genuine fear in our hearts as to what might have been had we perished from this world an hour ago before being confronted with these truths tonight. But we haven't perished yet, have we? And better than that, God has made provision for us so that in the words of 1 Corinthians 6.11, we might be washed and sanctified and justified. Those are three marvelous blessings. Washed made clean from your sin, no matter how bad it's been, no matter how dark the stain, clean from your sin, both within and without, so that you're no longer guilty of it. You're no longer stained by it, and you're no longer controlled by it either. Sanctified, set apart as holy to the Lord, and gradually being made more holy by the Lord. Justified, declared right in God's sight, Not only acquitted of our crimes, not only forgiven of our sins, but treated as though we had been just as good as Jesus. Here's what it looks like to be a Christian. Here's what you may become tonight by God's grace, no matter how tawdry the record that you carried it in with you this evening. No matter how bad this sermon has made you feel so far. You may have come in tonight unclean. You may have come in tonight set apart for unholy purposes. You may have come in tonight guilty in God's sight, but you may walk out tonight, verse 11, washed and sanctified and justified. And all these things come to us, Paul says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our lack of integrity. And in the spirit of our God, whom I trust is wooing us to this Jesus, even now. And how I urge you to come to him. Not to brush off the conviction tonight, not to think that it'll be okay. Come to Jesus, who forgives men like Zacchaeus, who have made a career of being dishonest. These are precisely the kind of people, Jesus says in Luke 19, whom he has come to seek and to save. The Zacchaeuses, the people who've lost their way in all manner of sin, including the sin of dishonesty, of swindling, of deceit that leads to theft. These are the very sorts of people Jesus came looking for, for Zacchaeus and for me and for you. 
And like Zacchaeus, you must receive this Jesus gladly. Repent of your sins like Zacchaeus did. Disown your sin. Disavow your sin. Hate your sin. Turn from your sin. And turn instead to this lovely Jesus who washes sinners and who sanctifies them and who justifies them and who makes them glad. Turn out of the road of deceit tonight. Get off of the road of dishonesty and theft and whatever other sin you're guilty of. And turn instead to Jesus Christ, trusting that his blood and his cross and his love are enough to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And the angels in heaven will rejoice. And the Lord Jesus will say to you, as he did of the tax collector of old, today salvation has come to this house. And the next time we have occasion to discuss the sin of dishonesty, you will know that the words of the apostle apply most assuredly to you. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God.